like Son Like Father with Antonio and Willie Harrison, a real open and honest conversation between a father and son. There ain't no love like the love of a father. Hey, Dad. Hey, son. So the last time we left you, my dad was on his way to Florida after shooting, would you call it the boss? Yeah. Yeah, shooting the boss. Yeah. And the rest of the town gathering some money, giving it to Granny to get him out of there because they knew that they were going to come back to take him away. We've been kind of lighthearted with everything so far, um, but things can get a little heavier. And before we move on to Florida, I want to stop and kind of go back for a second. After I listened to the second episode, I had some I had some questions for you and I was curious about. So I guess the first question I want to know, and and all these questions that I'm going to ask are from the earliest memory you have until heading on that bus to Florida. Okay. How do you feel about where you came from? Because, you know, to us, to you, that's what you know. To me, that's what I know of you. Right. And what our lives have been and where we are today. Right. But for someone else listening, they might think of that as a tragedy or a travesty. Well, all, all in all. My life, I consider my childhood life, it was fun with the exception of the stuff I had to go th- through. But, I mean, that's what everyone went through. So it w- it was, wasn't something that was all that uh, horrendous uh, to me because that's what everyone else endured. So growing up, I would say I was a normal kid. Okay. What do you miss most about that time? Uh, what I miss most is family, just be, being around and with everyone, all the kids, uh, the in-laws, their kids, uh, because we were just one big family. Even the people who lived in the quarters around us, they was family. It was like it's nowhere you could go that people didn't know you or would feed you or uh, whatever you did, someone would say, oh, I know you, you missed so-and-so's boy, uh, and uh, you was held responsible for it. Even people that you didn't know, if you did something wrong, you were subject to get a beating or whooping for it. If they caught you doing it, and they'd take you home and tell your mom or your dad, and you'd get another beating for it. Yeah, well, the crazy thing, too, is because I remember you know, growing up, it was basically me, you, mom, and Jay. And Jay's my younger sister by two years. And I would always remember, like, you know, we had some cousins and some aunts and uncles, and this was after Granny and Nana passed away. Our family felt small. Right. But now, today, I look around, and there's, what, a total of six kids, grandkids, uh, or seven, and aunts and uncles, and our family's getting larger and larger. So do you feel almost like it's come back full circle? Somewhat, yes. And the reason it was small when you and your sister were born is because of the fact that I married who I married. A lot of my family didn't agree with it, so they was kind of standoffish. They didn't respond or react to your mom like they would have if she, if she was black. I knew that, and I explained that to her. And a lot of times I wouldn't take you guys around them because I didn't want her or you and your sister to be subjugated to the bullshit. What do you wish me and Jay could have seen or been a part of from your childhood like if you wish you could have taken us back to a certain part of your childhood for us to see what would that be just how family was it was a 
one big unit. Everybody loved each other. Everybody cared for each other. Everybody took care of each other. There was nothing that you did that the rest of the family didn't know about or if you got in trouble, they all was there. No matter what it was you did, everybody was there. That's something I've always admired about our family. No matter what our ups and downs, we tend to be there for each other. Exactly. So I can see where that's coming from. With you becoming more of a militant when you were younger and recognizing some things, did you feel like you had a future or did you kind of feel like you were robbed of a future? I kind of felt like my life was a dead end. Okay. That uh, I had no place to go, no one to turn to. It was almost like the world was this big place and I was right in the middle of it and I had to make my own way. I was also angry because of that, because of the fact that to me I was mistreated, abused in a sense, only because of my color. Certain things I couldn't do, I could do, but I couldn't do. Things I could do, I wasn't compensated for it. So it was like, well, what's the use? And that leads into once I went to Florida. Okay. The, the bad habits I picked up. Well, let's, let's, before we get there, yeah. I want to ask you about Granny sending you to California. Were you, because you were saying, you know, um, she realized that you were being coming a little more militant and saying some things right. and it was going to lead you into trouble. Were you upset that she sent you to California? Were you upset with her? No, I was happy about it. Yeah. I loved her more for that because within myself, I knew I had to leave. Okay. I, I knew I didn't have no choice in that matter. I had to go somewhere. And uh, Sandy, my oldest brother, I know he had went to Florida. So I said, well, I go to Florida. Did Sandy go to Florida with family or? No, by herself. How old was he when he left? I guess Sandy was probably 19 or something. Was he just leaving because he was, you know, time to leave the coop, fly the coop, leave the living Yeah, house? and uh, like I was, he had been working for a long time, driving the tractors, doing the field thing. And, you know, I guess he had had enough and he just wanted to change. If you weren't mad at Granny, but I know how much you hated being in California the first time. Were you mad at Lizzie for leaving? No. Did she even say anything to you about leaving, or was she just up and gone one day? I remember her vaguely talking to me, uh-huh. telling me that she was going to Chicago. But I was happy for her because, in my mind, she was going to something better for her. Okay. So I was, I was cool with that. Did you ever keep in touch with Lizzie? Yeah, uh, up until recently, maybe two years ago. I used to call her every once in a while. Then when you was in Grinnell, me and your mom went through Chicago. Grinnell's where I went to college. Yes. Yeah. And we uh, went through Chicago, and we tried to find her, but no luck with that. So when you came back to Louisiana, and now you're a teenager, when you talk about that time, you seem a little more desensitized or a little loose of an attitude. Why do you think that was? Do you think, do you feel like you were broken a little bit being in California? Do you feel like you just didn't care even more now? Coming back to Louisiana, I felt like I was once again coming home where people loved me, where I wouldn't be scrutinized and, and, and abused for things that I didn't do, even some things that I did. I would be a part of a family again because initially, living with my uncle and my auntie, I didn't feel a part of that family, not at all. So if you were happy to to be home and happy to come home and come back to loved ones, why do you think it got so 
violent with, you know, you going out and being around certain people? Because, you know, they always say violence is a sign of anger or being upset. Was there something or someone you were pissed at? I mean, or was it just the environment you were around? Just the environment, the situation of how it was for blacks in those times. Did you ever feel like a sense of I can overcome this or you just kind of felt like, well, this is where I'm at, so I'm just going to be here? It was almost like this is my life. This is the only life I knew I've known. So this is my life. Yeah, I went to California, but I was a kid and I found out real quick that I didn't like it. Later on, I knew it was just because of where I was and who I was placed with. My uncle and my auntie living in their home. Okay, I, I go to California and then once I get there, my uncle put me to work on the trash truck and it was almost like, well, damn, I left Louisiana and come to California to live the same way and do the same thing. Right, with yeah. a lot less love. Yes. After the boss took Granny on the day she was sick and you came back, mm-hmm. opened fire on him. When people started giving Granny money, to get you out of there, what were you thinking and feeling? Basically, I was just feeling we should hurry up, try to get the <laughs> hell away from here, because there was it was a fact. It wasn't something that you thought you fantasized about, or maybe this gonna happen. You knew that they were coming for you. That was a fact. You knew that they was coming for you. Sooner than later, they was coming for you. So I just wanted to leave. Had you ever seen anything like that before, where they came and got somebody? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Burning crosses, all of that. Do you remember what Granny said to you before you left to go to Florida? Uh, she, I remember Mom just saying that she loved me to be careful, to take care of myself, to write, and try to find my brother, Sandy. So now you're heading to Florida, but now at your age, when you look back at the first 15 years of your life, what do you think of yourself and your situation at that time? To be honest, I felt as being a man, I was a man, so I had to do what was necessary to take care of me. I wasn't scared. My journey on the bus to Florida, it was filled with anticipation, anxiety, uh, a lot of different emotions because cause I didn't know what I was going to. And it reminded me of going to California on the bus, but I knew I wasn't going to the same situation because it was just me. So, and I was going to put myself in that environment on my own, so. Well, and at that point, I mean, you're 15. You're yeah. essentially a man, so exactly. you can make your own decisions. Exactly. So shit kind of starts to get pretty crazy pretty, once you get to Florida. Heavy, pretty heavy. Knowing what you know now, if you could look back to that 15-year-old riding mm-hmm. that bus to Florida, what would you tell him? Get a job, go to school, because when I first got there, after my initial six months or so being homeless, I did get a job, a good job. Had two or three good jobs. I could have went back to school, but I didn't do that because by then I had become, what do you call, seasoned to street life. Okay. I had become seasoned to a lot of different crimes. So at that point for me, it really didn't matter that much because I had accepted that this is where I am. And this is what it's come to. I'm going to do it and do it the best I can. Well, then let's jump into this Florida. Okay. We ended the last episode with you talking about you were getting on the bus to Florida. You had $45 in your pocket. You didn't know exactly where you were going. You didn't know anybody in Florida. You just knew Sandy was there, but you didn't know where he was. Right. Where do you touch down in Florida? In Miami. You just chose Miami? I chose Miami. 
Was was Miami? I mean, was it well known? Was it a- well known? I had uh, heard about it. I had saw some clips on TV about the beach and the lifestyle, and that's kind of what, what I was drawn to. Okay, and this is what uh, mid sixties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you get to Miami, Florida. What what do you do when you get off the bus? You don't know where you're going, so what do you do? I just kind of walk the streets for a couple of days. Okay. Different directions. I you know. At night, I would, just like the homeless, I would find a spot in a corner somewhere. Uh, eventually, my clothes start to get dirty, start to smell. And after two or three days, I found this junkyard, climbed the fence, and there was a vacant school bus. And the seats were out of it, most of them. So that's where I start sleeping at. And I would go there late at night, climb the fence, get him in the bus, go to sleep, wake up early and leave before the man open his business up. Right. And sometime I had to run out because he'd be already open up when I wake up. Mm-hmm. I did that for maybe six months, I guess. And were you panhandling at this time? Were you? I was panhandling. I was stealing. I was doing whatever. And nobody, nobody saw you as like, here's this 15, 16 year old kid wandering the streets. Like no one ever said like, Hey kid, what are you doing out here? No, because I, I've looked the same all my life. I didn't look like no kid. Okay. My futures were the same. Just I was a little shorter because I didn't grow it really at height until I was damn near 20 years old, 21. Okay. But as far as facial futures, if you saw pictures of me when I was a kid, I basically looked the same. Okay. So you didn't know I was So you had manly features yeah, and everybody, yeah. Yeah, you didn't know. And the way I talked and did things, it was the same as being an older person. Well, yeah, after everything yeah. you had been through in the first 15 yeah. years, that that make you grow up quick. Really. So I, I met these this family. I met these two guys, and they were brothers. Where'd you meet them? Do you remember? Uh, on the street somewhere at this cafe or something. And I don't know exactly how we became friends, but they were in Miami visiting from a town called Amarkley, Florida, which is not that far out of Miami. Was that another country type town or was it? A yeah, it's a little small. Town. Okay. So they invited me to go home with them. What were their names? Man, I, to be honest, I can't even remember. I know their last name was Henry. Black dudes, white dudes? Black dudes. Okay. The last name was Henry. I went to Mockley with them and I lived in their house for about maybe a month. I was working at a gas station doing odd things, but I left and went back to Miami. I just didn't want to impose on them and their family. So I left, went back to Miami. Had you, had you been searching for Sandy at all or? No. No? No. You just figured it happened when it happens? Yeah, exactly. Because of the fact that I didn't want to impose on their family and I didn't know these people. And it was like, in my mind, it was like, well, what do they really want? You know, what's really happening here? You know, what am I going to have to do later on if they're going to feed me and give me a place to sleep and, you know, share their clothes. Nah, something's wrong here. You know. Did you tell them the story of why you were there? Did they know or? No, they didn't know. Did you tell them goodbye? I told them where I was. Okay. Yeah, I told them where I, I came from, but I didn't tell them the story. Did you tell them bye or did you just up and leave uh, one night? No, I told them I was leaving. Okay. I told them I was leaving. So I went back to Miami, had a few dollars in my pocket, and then you could get a room for like five, six dollars a night. So I got a room. 
And the next day, I immediately started job searching. I went down on Miami Beach to a restaurant. Never forget it, New York Delicatessen. Walked in. That was that was the name of the place in Miami, New York Delicatessen. New York Delicatessen. <laughs> I walked in, and the guy immediately looked at me and said, you looking for a job, right? And I go, yes. He said, come on. Took me in the back. I started washing pots and pans. Okay. From that, I graduated to busboy, cleaning the tables. Now, Jackie Gleason, Alan Funt, Cadnet Cameron, all these celebrities used to come in this place. And now they would leave like $50, $100 tips on the table. So that that buy you a room for 50, 60 oh, days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking at all this money on the, be laying on the table. I'm the busboy. I got to clean off the table. At first, I was apprehensive about doing it. But eventually, I start, you know, not in my section, but going to other section, taking money off the table. Every night, I'd leave there with three or four hundred dollars in my pocket. So I was, man, I was balling big time. Yeah. So and you were in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> so I bought clothes, upgraded my hotel room, got moved to another hotel, nicer place. Well, did you ever get caught with that? Yes and no. I got caught in the sense that. Uh, the head chef, which was the boss of everybody, said, you know, uh, somebody is skimming the tips, you know, and it's like if they're caught, they're out of here, blah, 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 and they could come up with criminal charges. I just said, fuck that. I just left. They were doing this new development in Miami Beach called Marco Island. It was a new development, rich homes and stuff. People would go. They bought homes, built homes there, and then they were like, it was like their summer home. Okay. And they would leave it open, all these maids and butlers would be there cleaning and doing all of this stuff. So I got a job on Marco Island doing landscaping. Uh, first, it was doing the highways and stuff, putting down the blacktop and all of this. Then we was doing, I was doing landscaping, putting in the flowers, the sod on the ground, and uh, helping with the water sprinklers and all that stuff. Did you ever stop and think, wow, how much Granny loved flowers and gardening? Yeah, and I used, here you were. I used to think about that. Yeah, I did. Here you are putting in flowers. Especially the flowers and the trees and yeah. all of that. And I used to look at them homes and wish that I wish I could just bring my mom out here and put her in one of them houses, you know. Were you writing her or no? Yeah, I would write maybe once a month. Okay. Maybe once a month. Granny couldn't write, right? No. So no. she couldn't write back. No, she couldn't. Write Did she back. have anybody write for her? Or no, I knew that as long as she knew that I was okay, she was okay. Could she read, or was someone reading to her? Uh, someone had, would have to read it to her. Okay, yeah, okay. I knew that as long as she knew that I was okay, she would be okay. So I wasn't too much worried about that. Didn't. Uh, so you're landscaping. I'm landscaping, and in the meantime, all these big, beautiful homes are open. I knew which houses were secluded, which houses I could go to. I worked at stuff. I'd go in. I'd burglarize the house. Okay. I took jewelry, clothes. I took any, any, anything that was movable, I took it. Did you have a car or were you just doing no. this freehand? I was freehand. I'd put it on my back. A couple of nights I had to hide from the police in the, in the, in the scrubbery and stuff, and I had my sack. I had to run off and leave my sack, but I came back and got it. And by being on the street, I knew who to fence it to. I knew who to go sell it to. Right. So for me at that time, what they go, I was balling. 
I used to go and hang out at the Fountain Blue. The Fountain Blue where all the big-time musicians used to go. Diana Ross, The Temptations, and all and anime. What's the woman's name? Uh-uh. Oh, um, Tina Turner. Tina Turner. Yeah. Uh, that's where they used to go and, you know, that's the club they used to go to. And they'd live at the Fountain Blue Hotel. But the Fountain Blue had also had a, a big stage area. And I was there when the Supremes got raped. And uh, there was a section, and that section of town it was mostly black. The youngsters there, if you think you're seeing something today with the Bloods and the Crips, Bloods and the Crips is nothing compared to the kids that used to be in Miami, the, the things they used to do, the gangsters, I mean real gangsters, they would do some hell of a shit. And certain cities, Ebo City, uh, I remember Ebo City, Jackson Heights, the police wouldn't even go into those places. They were so bad. Were they just shooting, killing, they would robbing? Do, they would do anything, yes. They would do anything. Did you get mixed up with these cats, or were you you just kind of stay clear? They didn't bother you. They or? they didn't bother me because they kind of knew I was on the street. Yeah. So you know, it, it's like birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. So it's like they didn't bother me. I can go down in there and whatever you know, but it was cool. Okay. After the landscaping, and I left that job because the boss said, "Okay, somebody's been breaking into houses. That's some heavy shit." that's going on, and if any, my crew have been involved in it, I'm gonna personally turn you in. So I had met these other two guys, Chuck and Skeet. They was from Tampa, Florida. Were they working the landscaping with you? Yes. Okay. So if Did they know you were burglarizing It was us three that was doing it. Okay. So it was the three of us. At first I started doing it by myself, and then I was talking to Chuck one day, and I go, man, you know, they be leaving them houses open. He go, I can trust you, right? I go, yeah. He said, uh, me and Skeet already hit a couple of them. I said, damn, well, I have two. <laughs> so that's kind of how we hooked up. Right. So we started doing it together. Once the bosses said what they said, we left, and we went to Immokalee. Now, Immokalee was a small town. Now, is this the same place that you went with the first two guys that you were living with when you first got yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's why I went back there because I knew the little city. Uh-huh. It was a cool little spot. So we go because Skeet and Chuck was older, but maybe two, three years older than I was. Uh-huh. And like, they was on the run from Tampa. Do you know what they were on the run for? Yeah, they did robberies and stuff. Okay. So, uh. We go to Immokalee. Now, Immokalee is a migrant town. You got all these migrant workers who work in the orange groves and, you know, pick the fruit, the lettuce, tomatoes, and all that stuff. Plenty of money there. It's amazing. This shit is crazy when I even think about it. The three of us, we'd walk down the street. Now, we never robbed any black man or black woman. If we caught a white man, if he wasn't black, he was fair game. Okay. We'd be walking down the street, and if it's dark, it don't have to be late, as long as it's dark, and we'd see a guy coming towards us, we'd size him up, look at his shoes, look at how he dressed, you know, his hair, and whatever, you know, because we knew if this guy had money on him, and we'd take bets. And the bet was a one-hitter. You got to hit him one time, he's gone. 
Didn't matter how big it was, how small it was. It was like the first one always got the first one. Chuck got the second. Skeet got the third one. We'd walk down the street. We'd see a guy coming. If it was the first guy, we'd walk by and I'd tag him. That was it. Hit his pocket, get his watch. If he had the knife, jacket, or shoes, we'd take him. That went on for months. No one ever, you guys never got busted? No never. one ever. No one ever put you up on the police looking for you or anything no, like that? No, because the guys that we robbed, I mean, they didn't see nothing. Yeah, It was like you walking down the street and all of a sudden, you constantly passing people. We'd even do it if there was other people on the street. Wasn't necessary no empty street. No. You walking down the street and all of a sudden, boom, your light's out. So they didn't see nothing. Nobody's going to say anything. At that time, yeah. at that age, did you ever feel bad about doing that shit? No, because at that time, it was like, it was fun. And each time I did that, it was like I was hitting that guy that I shot at. Uh, or either some of the guys that I had to bow down to back home. Did you ever picture your uncle from California? No. No? No. We did that for a while. Okay, we graduated from that to banks. We robbed three banks, I remember. All right, now, and, hold on, pause. <laughs> When did you decide, you know, I'm we're tired of giving people two piece and a biscuit to go to robbing banks? Because we had moved to an exclusive hotel wearing nice clothes. We had even bought a car. Okay. So we were moving up the ladder. Okay. So we robbed a couple of banks. Well still, pause. You got I mean, you gotta were you running up in there just with guns and strong arming? Were you doing Ocean Eleven secret, you know, no, mission we, impossible? We'd stuff? Go up in there with, pieces with pistols and rob them and at that time they didn't have the technology that they have right so our faces were plastered all over the paper and all that stuff at that time i was like dark as night chuck and skeet was light-skinned you know but we all had caps and glasses on and all of this so they they didn't know what's the most money y'all ever came up with out of a bank like eight thousand dollars okay yeah which was a lot of money then the bank thing got a little risky because we got shot at by like the last time we did it by a guard or something yeah or? by we don't know it was a guard or police or whoever there was just shots being fired and we was on foot running because we had mapped out the getaway before we go we would go in we were just lucky that nobody got hit so that was the last that was the last time we did that so now we sit and pondering about what we're gonna do for money because we was living large at the time. Were y'all blowing through the money that you yeah, were Yeah, we were spending everything we was getting. We was partying. Okay. We was partying. We had the, the weed, the hash. We had the hookers, uh, the alcohol. We was doing it big time. So we thought, okay, contractors. These contractors have thousands of dollars. Like the people building the homes that used to no, landscape for. No, The contractors we were getting was the contractors who would have maybe 100 to 200 people working in these orange groves oh. because they would take these big buses, two or three of them, go pick up people in the city and bring them to the orange groves or whatever to work. And at the end of the day, they would go to the bank and get the money to pay these people. Okay. Now, all of us had worked in the orange grove. You could make, you could, Back then, you could make up to $200 a day if you worked really hard. So he had to have a lot of money to pay all these people. Right. 
We successfully did it once. We got about, I guess, like twenty some thousand dollars. Do you remember how that all went down? Uh, yeah, we had followed the guy because, like I said, we had bought a car, a Buick. We followed this guy. He goes to the bank. From the bank, he would come back to the Orange Grove, and he always had two other people with him. So we like, well, this is a problem. How are we going to get around these other two guys? took about a week. We followed him, and he goes back to the Orange Grove. And once he gets to the Orange Grove, the two guys was with him, got out of the car, got on two of the buses, and went down in the field. To go pick people up. Yeah. So we immediately jumped on him. And uh, they had always had secret compartments in the car under the glove box, you know, under the dash or, you know, under the seat, you know, with the seat out on the passenger side that was built in so he could put the money in and stuff. So we learned that real quickly. The second time we did it. You just robbed him with a pistol or did you give him one punch and then go into his right, car? We, we just robbed him with the pistol. He just gave, he just up, gave up the he money. He gave up the money. And y'all got like 20 grand? Yeah, because he knew we were serious. And y'all just went and partied that all we off? We just huh? went but took about maybe a month. Okay. <laughs> maybe a month that was gone. Uh, second time, this guy, he had about thirty, forty thousand dollars We searched everywhere. He would not tell us where the money is. So we got uh, carjacked him and kidnapped him, took him from Immokalee to the Everglades, uh, which is uh, down what they call the Tamami Trail. Putting people in Everglades was a real thing, so people really got scared of that type of stuff. Well, apparently this dude didn't. Oh, really? Because he wouldn't give up the money. So I'm driving. Skeet's in the passenger seat. Chuck's in the back with him. So all of a sudden, I hear, pow! I turn around. Chuck shoots him in the leg. And uh, Chuck was a mean, this was a mean dude. Chuck, well, I'm going to ask you again. He said, matter of fact, pow! Shot him again. He shot him in the shoulder. And uh, the dude told us where the money was. It was in the trunk, floorboard of the trunk. Uh huh. Wasn't the floorboard. The kind of where you would keep a spare tire or something. Yeah. 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 But it had a secret compartment back under, like, the seat. In the back seat. In, in the back seat. So we got the money. So now we're saying, okay, well, we done shot this dude. Uh, we got to do something because we've been with this dude, you know, like an hour or so. He can yeah. identify us. So Chuck shoots him in the chest. So we picks him up, throws him in the Everglades because we know with all the alligators, the crocodiles, and they're going to eat him up, especially the blood that's flowing and stuff. They're going to eat him up. So we said, okay, we got to go get rid of the car. Was anybody shook right there at that point? No. I mean, it was we, just matter of fact. Nobody. Was, we had we had become full-fledged full-fledged criminals. Not thugs, criminals. We had become criminals. So maybe maybe a month goes by. We riding one night, high, drinking, got alcohol in the car. The police stop us, pulls us over. They're lucky we didn't have the guns with us. Pull us over. We go to jail and uh No, this is your first time in jail. Yeah. We go to jail, and when we go to court that Monday morning. Did they put you guys in the same little pod or area? Yeah, we're all there. Okay. So, I mean, no big deal. Yeah, because we in there for alcohol. And and you guys are together. So. Yeah, driving on the influence. We didn't give a shit. We go into court that morning, three of us, and lo and behold, who's sitting there but this dude 
that we shot three times and threw him in the Everglades. As a witness or something? Or I, the- I don't know why he was there. But the minute we walked in, this dude jumped up and started screaming and pointing. That's them. That's them. Them the dudes that robbed me. I thought, oh, my God. And we looking at each other, looking at the door. I wasn't nowhere to run. We thinking about breaking the hell out of it, but we couldn't go nowhere because we was, you know, we didn't even go to court. They took us back and locked us up. Then the detectives come in and start talking to us, blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. Were y'all thinking this is it? It's a wrap? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it all came down to I got 10 years. Chuck got eight years. Skeet got three years because Skeet turned state's evidence against me and Chuck. Oh, How'd you get 10, though, if Chuck's the one who shot him? Don't ask me. I mean, I really don't know how that happened, but I ended up getting 10 years because I was put as kind of the ringleader. Okay. Bit because it's like I had no family ties in the community or nowhere around there, even in Florida itself. Apparently they knew other people people they fat once their family got involved in all of this stuff. All right, so let's take let's take a step back then because okay. now I'm curious. I want to know what Chuck and Skeet were like. What was Chuck like? Chuck was this quiet, dangerous dude. Was he a big dude, little dude? He was pretty pretty good size. Pretty muscular, never worked out, just kind of one of them dudes, kind of real stocky football big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but not chunky, muscular. Skeet was really thin. Skeet was a pretty boy. Okay. Yeah, he was a woman's man. He, he used to get all the ladies. He used to get ladies for me and Chuck and stuff like that. Yeah, Chuck was the dangerous one. So if Chuck was the dangerous one, Skeet was the lady man, yeah. what would your label have been? My label would have been unpredictable. Okay. Yeah, I, I was the unpredictable one. I'd laugh with you, but if something went wrong, you was in a big, you was in a world of trouble because my switch went on and off just like the light switch did. Were you surprised that Skeet turned over state evidence? Yeah, very much so. Did you and Chuck ever talk about yeah, it? Yeah, we did. Did you guys ever see Skeet again? No, never. Because anytime someone does that you're not going in the same place right yeah, he, he went to pc yeah. yeah he went to pc so i we don't even know if he did any time you know because he told everything everything we ever did they knew about it now were you and chuck sent to were you guys sent to state federal prison were uh we were sent to a state prison chuck was sent to a different part we were sent to rayford state penitentiary because we was tried as adults so you were only what then, 17? Like 16, 17. So all that shit happened in a span of a year or two? Yes, yes. God damn. Didn't take long. Didn't take long. We all were thinking like, well, we're still teenagers, you know. We're not even 20 or 21 yet. Right. Or 18 even. So we ain't going to get no time. Not in the state of Florida. We tried and sent us as adults. So you went to Rayford? Rayford State Penitentiary. And he went to... Uh, Chuck went to Rayford also, but he went to another section of the prison. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't see him during the whole time I was there. You've never been in jail before. Yeah. The guy that you guys thought you had disposed of is now right there pointing you out. Pointing us out. And then one of your closest friends, Rats. Tells everything. On that bus ride to Rayford. I was angry. I was angry at Skeet? Yeah, I was angry at Skeet praying I see him. So you weren't even thinking about the fact that you were going to prison? No, didn't bother me. I was praying I see Skeet because 
I knew if I saw him, I was going to be there the rest of my life anyway because I was going to take care of him. And uh, that's the last thing that I heard from Chuck. Okay, I'll see him because he lives in Tampa and I live in Tampa. I know his family. And one day I'll see him and I'll take care of it. Did you ever see Chuck, Chuck or again? Skeet again? No, neither one. Wow. Neither one. Do you remember their last names? Uh, no, I don't. I was going to say, that'd be no, a I don't. hell of a thing to look them up right now. <laughs> I don't think I want to. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to. So you're, you're pissed off at Skeet as you're riding the bus to Rayford right. State Prison. You've got 10 years hanging over your head. You're not worried about I'm about to miss 16 to 26 or 17 to 27? No. Wasn't thinking about it at all. Were you worried about being in prison for the first time? Uh, I mean, because nowadays most people will start in, you know, city or county and then head off to prison. You you went straight to straight it. Straight to prison. No, uh, I wasn't worried because at that point I was hardened. It was like I got to do what I got to do. And if anyone stepped to me, I'm going to have to do what I need to do to survive. So my only concern was what I was going to have to do once I got there. Yeah. Because I had heard rumors about the booty bandits and all of this. And, do you remember and, what you felt like when the judge said 10 years? It was. Do you even remember that moment? Yeah, I do. It it, was, wait, wait, wait. It, before you answer that, did okay. Skeet have to get on the stand in front of you and Chuck and testify? No, he wasn't even in the same courtroom. Oh, okay. Yeah. When that judge, it was like somebody cut the lights out for a period of time. I couldn't see nothing or hear nothing. I just went blank when he said 10 years because I knew I was going to get probation or go to the boys' home or something, you know? Yeah. But when he said it was 10 years state penitentiary, it was like, holy shit. And, like, the lights flipped off, you know? And actually, when I the reality of it all came back to me, I was on the bus ride heading to the state, state pen. Well, we have to stop there. Got to tune in next week for the rest of this chapter. Love you, Dad. Love you, too. Thank you for listening to Like Son, Like Father on the MPD Network. For more shows and more episodes, visit Multiple Podcast Disorder Network. That's mpdnetwork.com. Or leave a comment by emailing info at mpdnetwork.com. Hashtag Like Son, Like Father in the subject line. You can also visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash mpdnetwork. And follow the Twitter feed at Harris Antonio. Harris Antonio. 